Sidebar, courtesy of the New York Association of Black Journalists, a program about the world of media as seen through the lens of black media makers. Today's guest, Vice President of Nightcast Media, multimedia journalist for the Long Beach Post, and budding community activist, Jackie Ray will sit and talk to us today about her life, her experiences, and her road. Welcome to the Sidebar. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Ray. I am your host for today's episode of the Sidebar. My guest today, I am a major fan of uber-talented Jackie Ray. What an intro. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. <laughs> it is it is my it is my absolute pleasure. So let's take this from the top. Who is Jackie Ray? Mm, that's a great question. So Jackie Ray uh, is the baby of six from a blended family. So for the babies out there, y'all already know what that means. I don't have to explain it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was the baby and I was the youngest. My closest brother to me is uh 10, 10 and a half, almost 11 years older than me. So definitely by the time uh, my parents had me, it was like, okay, we're just going to kind of let her do her thing. So, uh, which is a blessing for me because my personality is, I kind of got to test the waters myself. I kind of got to experience things myself. You can't really tell me. So that was a blessing. Um, the curse was, which has also ended up being a blessing is I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. Uh, I went to predominantly white schools. Uh, my entire schooling K through 12s, predominantly white schools. So when you, when you go to predominantly white schools that young, um, I, I think that there's, like I said, that's a blessing and the curse. My name, my real name is Jacqueline. My mom named me after Jacqueline Onassis specifically because when people saw a resume, she wanted people to think that I was white. So there's a lot of nuances that go into to that. And so I was always kind of taught to dial back my blackness. And I was very, very good at that until I hit high school. And then I don't know what changed. I don't know if it was puberty. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> but all of a sudden I was like, wait a damn minute. Like I literally me remember walking around thinking that. And then I, I began to find my voice. And it was literally a search process because at that time, and it's not much different now, but at that time there, you know, the, the most black history you were going to get was during Black History Month. And that was all about slavery. You know, shout out to Spike Lee because he was my introduction into doing the right thing <laughs> and, um, <Wow>. you know, <laughs> and teaching myself kind of my own history. And from there, it just kind of became um, I became very grounded in that very but confused at the same time, because there's a lot of there's a lot of things even within our own culture, as you know, uh, when when we learned to code switch and then my vernacular was different than a lot of black people so that I'm, I wasn't always necessarily completely accepted by my own. So it was, it was just a lot that went into. Yeah, why, into why that. you talk like that? Yeah, that's that's, that's what I always get. Why yeah. you, why you talk like that? Or why you talk whatever ethnicity they're trying, mm -hmm. you know, corroborate me with. I understand. Which always infuriated me. And I've never been one to, to, you know, hold my tongue. So when people say, why you, why do you talk like that? Why do you sound like you're trying to sound white? And I used to always tell people, don't tell me I'm trying to sound white because I use the English language properly. 
that's not a white characteristic. You can go to any backwoods. You can go across the street right now and find a white person who's not using the English language properly. Stop assessing people using English properly as a white trait. So I used to be very vocal about that. And, you know, again, that would draw some people to me. It would push other people away. But I realized very young that that was that was kind of my thing is like pouring into people and saying, no, that's not you don't have to think like that because it's not true. That's something you've been fed. That's something your parents have been fed and they're feeding it to you. I'm not saying that your parents did it intentionally. I'm saying this is the system that we're in. You got to learn the system that you're in. Otherwise, you can never fight against it. So it kind of just became my mission very, very young. My grandmother told me when I was a kid, I only had two missions in life. I had to do one or the other, either had to sing or I had to be a journalist. That was it. Do anything (laughs) else. She's like, that's all you're going to do. Pick one. I picked singing, which is how I ended up in LA. I moved out here to do music and all that good stuff. Did that for six to seven, seven years before I realized that this starving artist thing was great and it looked good to look glamorous on the outside. But you starving. You starving, yeah, and going to shopping for groceries at the 99 cent store, which by the way, groceries from the 99 cent store could kill you. That's not, that's not the look. (laughs) Home of the dented cane. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. There's a reason why there's a bunch of flies in that produce section. I'm just going to leave that there. But, you know, I decided that that wasn't how I wanted, you know, I love singing. I still love singing, but it wasn't like that kind of passion where I was just going to starve for it. But getting news out there, getting truth out there was. So I fell back onto my degree. Uh, I interned for Torrent City Cable way longer than I was supposed to. That internship's only supposed to be three years. I did it or three months. I did it for a a year and a half um, just because I knew I needed to build my reel up and they just kept forgetting to tell me to leave. So I just kept coming back. And I built my reel up and <laughs> right. I was like, hey, oh, listen, God. if you ain't gonna ask me to leave, then and I <laughs> I leave when I'm told, but yeah, yeah. So I just kept doing that and then ended up um getting into sports. I built my own sports channel on YouTube. That got me some attention. Then I uh was on a radio show called Take Five, and that's how I met Nick Hamilton with Nightcast Media, started working with Nightcast Media. Then from there, started freelancing with just about everybody. Built up my reel to the point where I ended up going overseas to Saipan, which is a commonwealth of the United States. But trust me when I tell you it's an entirely, it felt like an entirely different country. There's probably about 50 Black people on the island and maybe 500 white people, but the rest are Chamorro, which is a beautiful culture uh, within itself. And so I learned a lot over there, you know, being a news anchor. I was in a situation that wasn't necessarily conducive for me. So I quit that. This is, this is the thing about me. Sometimes I'm reactionary. <laughs> so right, right. Some, some things were said to me that were not racially appropriate. I used the vernacular, my, my native vernacular and told that person where he could go and drew him a map, how to get there and quit. But now I'm on an Island, right? So it's like, okay, how do I get back? Because getting back from an Island to the States is expensive. That job didn't pay that much. Uh, The police department found out that I had quit and literally hired me on the spot and said, Oh, we need you to be our public information officer. So ended up building up a whole police television program for them. Wow. And then came back to the States immediately started working for the fumble and then So I came back to the States in 2018, started working for the Fumble, 
and then got the job with the long and then kept freelancing and then got the job with the Long Beach Post May of 2021. That was the Cliff Notes. I know there's some people that have no idea what Cliff Notes are. That was the Cliff Note version of my life. <laughs> my name is Michael Ray. I am today's host for this particular episode of The Sidebar, brought to you by NYABJ. And my guest today is the uber talented Jackie Ray. Let's roll back a little bit. Take me to your education. Mm-hmm. 12 is over. It's time to look at higher learning. What did we do? Where did we go? So this is the fun story. I was not, I had no intentions of going to college. Um, that was not my plan, mostly because everybody I knew who went to college was in crazy debt, doing something that wasn't all associated with their degree. Waiting also, tables. Let's see. Right. Uh, packing groceries, stocking shelves. A garbage man. Like I knew I was like, you got a degree. What? So I, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, on top of that, I was, I was like, I'm not going to a, a school that's not historically black. Like I'm going either I go to a historically black institution or I'm not going. So my plan was to move to L.A. when I was 18 um, and just start the music career then. And if I had done that, I might have had a little bit more success, but I did not My my family is like, no. No, absolutely not. There's only one person in our family. Out, well, two, my dad and my aunt that actually went to college. You're going to college, you know. So uh, when you're 18 and you're financially dependent on your parents, there's only so much you can do, you know. So I did apply and got accepted to Hampton and Clark Atlanta University. I chose Clark Atlanta because they had the better journalism career or journalism track and then ended up changing to Hampton because I had a friend that went there. Um, who was in music and uh, was doing amazing as far as because the alumni, the musical alumni come back to Hampton. And so he was doing great. So I was like, OK, I'm going to go there. But I only got a partial scholarship. So my dad was not going for it. He's like, "Nope, you haven't even applied to any in-state schools. You're going to at least apply and see, you know, if you can get a scholarship. Rather than go all the way across the country. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't going for it. So I. um begrudgingly <laughs> applied to schools. I got accepted to all of them. Um, every school that I applied for in Colorado, I got accepted to, but I just wasn't into it. I didn't want to go. So um, I, I went to see you for a semester in Boulder and that, that was exactly how I went to high school. And I just Chauncey, to- didn't Chauncey Billups go to see you. Yeah. But okay. So let me just say this, this, the Chauncey went to George. So my brother knew knew Chauncey very, very well. Okay. And everybody knew Chauncey. I didn't care about Chauncey being at CU. That had nothing to do with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. <laughs> just make A, you know. <laughs> I mean, the basketball team was all right. The football team has been trashed for a long time. So I, you know, I wanted I I wanted no parts of that. So I went to I went to the Boulder campus for a semester. Um, and it just wasn't my thing, it, you know, having a, a roommate and in, in, in a small space and a campus I didn't want to be on. I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. So I don't even think I made it the whole semester. I think I'm low key lying. I think I made it like a quarter and a half before I was like, I'm going back. So I transferred to CU Denver. And then um, at the Auraria campus, which houses CU Denver um, Community College and Metropolitan State College of State oh. University of Denver. So I went there, joined Black Student Alliance there and um, was just kind of 
going through the motions. I put zero effort in. I went from having a 3.9 GPA in high school to I think I might have had a 3.0 teetering on that 2.9. So it, more more 2.9 ish than 3.0 ish. Yeah, yeah. So I just I just didn't want to be there, and and um, I think that was a good thing because that's a that's an understanding that I think I didn't have as a as a teenager. I think. Yeah, nobody really wants to go to school, but you know you have to. But then when you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, but you feel you have a choice and you're in it anyway, kind of shaped how I moved, you know, throughout the rest of my life. But anyway, so I was part of Black Student Alliance. The president quit. Um, so I was the secretary at the time. So everybody's like, okay, Jackie, you have to be the president. I'm like, how that's not how this that's Did not how the hierarchy you skip works. A step or two, like yeah. this is supposed to be the VP. That's exactly what I said. I said, y'all went one, two, skip a few, Jackie. That's not how this goes, you know? So wow. everybody's like, well, I don't, we don't want to do it. And so I was like, okay. So I did it again. My heart wasn't in it. And then the school said, okay, well, if you guys don't start doing something, you're going to lose your office space. You're going to lose everything that makes you guys, you know, Black Student Alliance. So I was like, okay, well, hmm. at this point, I'm on a bowling scholarship as well. So my bowling scholarship is that's a whole nother story, but that's only going to get me through the rest of the semester. So I'm like, okay, I have no idea. I saw this woman in, um, I guess a Starbucks, it was a coffee shop. She had on her uniform and I was like, Oh, you're a firefighter. And she's like, yeah, I'm like, that's so dope. Cause you know, at that time I rarely saw, even now I rarely see, you know, female firefighters. So I was like, that is so dope. You know, congratulations. And she's like, oh, yeah, you are you in school? I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to be there. And she's like, well, what do you do? What are you majoring in? I said, I'm majoring in communications. I'm by force the president of Black Student Alliance. We need to do something. She's like, hey, how about I help you out? How about um, we have a job fair? I'll bring the sheriff's department, the fire department um, and the police department and we'll have a job fair. All you have to do is promote it. And I was like, OK. So me and my friend Erica, we went out and promoted this job fair. It was like one of the biggest job fairs at the time the school had ever had. All these people came out to fire. All these kids came out. It was amazing. So she turns to me at the end of it, gives me my accolades and says, you know what? You should try to be um, a public safety cadet. I said, I shall not. I am not going to work with the police. I, this was just no, like, hell no. <laughs> and she was like, well, if you do that, though, you get a full ride scholarship. They pay for everything, including your books. And I was like, OK, because I, I was not going to pay for school. So right. I applied for it, made it. It was only three of us on there that were black. And that's and then so I switched because I wanted to keep because you did get a little bit of money. But obviously, the more you had to pay in tuition, the less you got. So I switched from CU, which had the higher tuition, the Metropolitan State College, State University of Denver. I keep, keep more money and then just graduated from Metropolitan University of Denver. So, I be having long stories, I know, but that's how that happened. <laughs> listen, listen, let's let's give it all to them. We we empty the table rather than take back leftovers. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my philosophy. So, all right, school is done. Now what are we doing? And well, and let me let me let me add this one other thing. Mm -hmm. In that process, when did you discover where your passion was? That's a really good question because I didn't really know where my passion was, to be honest, for a very long time. I knew I loved to sing and I knew I loved to tell stories. Um, and which is why my songs at the time, if y'all go ahead, y'all will never hear that the first two albums I did in Colorado because I had a stage name, but 
if you want to hear like the two albums I did out here in LA, look for Jackie Ray on iTunes. And you, I have, I like to tell stories. So I would tell stories in my music, but to say I was passionate about either of them, I don't think I was really passionate. I just wanted, I just didn't want to work a nine to five and I wanted to do something that was going to help our people. Right. So um, I think that's why I started, you know, teetering to the side of journalism because that gave me a voice that gave me a microphone to tell these stories. So when I graduated from school, uh, my dad had his own business. I worked with my dad for a while, but I knew I didn't want to be in Colorado. It just, that's not where I was supposed to be. And I knew it. So ended up joining this band. Uh, this band was great. It was kind of a mix of P-Funk and Evanescence. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Yeah, it was, it was dope. It was super, super dope. So we moved out here. Um, the lead singer kind of went his own way with his girlfriend. They got they are making tons of money right now, but none of it's in music, all of it's in business. So he kind of went his that way very quickly. And then everybody else went back to Colorado. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing it. Nope. I'm not going back. Not no. going to be able to do it. <laughs> not going to be able to <laughs> do, it. do it. Um. So then when I, I think when I really realized what my passion was, was when I was in Torrance, and I was working for Torrance City Cable. And I went out to do this story on shaken baby syndrome. And ended up working with this woman who had been accused of um, abuse and beating her kid. And because of the work that I did on that specific story, not only did she get her kid back, all the charges were dropped because we ended up finding out that it was the daycare that did it. And so that moment in time was like, okay, this is how I can make a difference. I can I can tell these stories and get truth out that people are just going to be like, oh, there's nothing I can do about that. And they're, they're just going to move on because that's how we are. We're all living our own lives. We're all doing our day to day. We can see stuff and say, oh, that's too bad. But number one, do we know how to help? And number two, do we have the time or the resources to do it? So at that moment in time, that's when I really built my passion for it. And then that's when I started putting out stuff and just freelancing and then just working and working and working. And so fast. I knew when I went overseas, though, that I was going to put myself behind the eight ball because L.A. is a. If you're out of sight, you're out of mind type of place. And so I knew once I left all that momentum that I had gained, I was going to lose it. So but I had to take it like going overseas like that to, to work like I was like, I have to take it. So I went over there and when I came back, I ended up working at the fumble. Which uh, is a at the time was sports gossip. They're trying to shift to sports news, but it's not making that turn right. Uh, but at the time it was just all sports gossip. I started working there, but then all of my freelance contacts were gone. Like I just wasn't getting that freelance work. So I ended up working in property management at a, a property in Hollywood. And then I was there for a while. And then the George Floyd, um, situation happened so you know i was out there marching and stuff and i just sidebar which is important right now right uh, right sidebar <laughs> all that you saw for those of y'all who saw that big influx of people um all over the news i know y'all saw it it was like the whole city was marching that's not what y'all think that's not all those people were not out specifically to say hey we got to fight against the injustice that happened against george floyd Hey, if you're enjoying this particular episode, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a good review. And as a reminder, if you wish to reach us or learn more about us, www.nyabj.org. And now back to the program. 
is this is how I ended up at the Long Beach Post. I had applied for the Long Beach Post. I want to say shortly before, right shortly after I had come back from overseas for a food writer position. I am not qualified to be a food writer position. I can't tell you anything other than it tastes good. I don't know the vernacular, the nuances, none, any of that. Um, but I had applied anyway. Uh, the managing editor there called me. She was like, yeah, all of your, all of your background is in TV. Why did you apply for this newspaper? I'm like, lady, I'm trying to get out of this property management job. That's why. <laughs> so, you know, but at the time I had my YouTube page up as well. So I was doing the, um, I called it at the half. So I was doing sports and social justice stuff. So she had seen that and she was like, yeah, but I really love your work. You know, keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go out for this March one day, this girl comes back with this giant poster at the time my my hair was in box braids and it's this girl with the mask on she's holding up her fist and says no justice no peace and so when she hands it to me I'm like yo did you paint this because I thought it was me it looked like me and she's like no but I found this picture I thought it looked just like you so I brought it back I'm like yeah I thought it was me girl this is dope so as she's handing me this picture uh the owner of the the property walks in sees me giving this girl a hug, sees the picture. And I was like, oh, cause I'm never, I'm not scared of people. That's just not what I, I was like, oh, I'll be right with you. I know who he is, but I'll be right with you. I got to give this girl a hug. She brought me this, brought me this dope picture. I give her a hug. He's sitting in my office. He's like, Hey, can I see the picture? I'm excited about the picture. I'm still excited. If you can hear it in my voice, I'm like, oh yeah, see, he was like, why would you want that? And I was like, what do you mean? Why would I want that? He was like, are you with all these thugs that are out here protesting? And I looked at him and he is, he's a Jewish guy. And I says, I think it is inappropriate for a man who looks like you to tell a person who looks like me that the people who are out that are marching for justice are thugs. And I says, because fun fact, you got reparations for what happened to you. My people did not. And I said, you got a leg up. We did not. We get the whole pull us up by our bootstraps. We get people telling us how we should respond to our anger. We get people telling us, oh, just do better. Or we get people letting us have a seat at the table, but there's conditions to having that seat at that table. So I don't think you're in a position to tell me anything about what's going on right now. Next day, human resources at my office trying to convince me that this man is not racist. He had said a plethora of racist things before that. That was just my opportunity to call him out about it, right? So fast forward to um, a year later. That really wasn't the time to get a racist stigma stuck on you at this particular time. So, right. Yeah. Right. So I had had it. Um, we, one of my coworkers had caught, got COVID. She got really sick. We all actually, unfortunately didn't think she was going to make it, but she did. And when she pulled out because she had lost so much time and money, she came and she was on the call. And the owner says, you know what? God put COVID here to take out the people who aren't supposed to be here. He said that knowing she was on the call, I typed up my resignation letter. I said, I can't do it. I can't, can't do it. Do Time to go. I can't do it. So, but there was a level of fear with that, right? Because since I was working two jobs, I was making great money. You know, I was basically, because I was getting free rent, you know? So, well, I was supposed to get free rent. I was getting half of, off my rent. So I was stacking money. So there was a level of fear that was like, okay, yeah, I have enough money to live off my savings for a year, but what does that look like at the end of that year? This is LA. There's no guarantee I'm going to find a job that quickly, you know? So I typed up that resignation letter and I just, and I typed it up in a way that said, I will sue you for everything you got. <laughs> and I just kind of hovered over it for a while. And then Melissa called and she's like, we don't, 
and she was 100% honest. She's like, we don't have a black reporter here. We don't have anyone who can tap into the black voice in Long Beach. We've been thinking about you for this entire year. Can you pitch something to us? Because we know you're not a newspaper journalist. You're a TV journalist. Can you pitch something to us? And I was like, sure. So this was on a Wednesday. She's like, can you be in tomorrow at 11? I was like, sure. So I was there, no, Friday at 11. So I went in Friday at 11, pitched her the podcast. They had me come back that following Monday, repitch it to a whole different group of people. And then by that Friday, they had offered me the job. And then fun fact, I hit send on that <laughs> resignation letter on the Monday, not knowing if I had the job at the post or not. On the Friday, when the post offered me the job, uh, the property management job with the racist called me said, hey, you know, we'll, we're going to give you $7,000 if you promise not to sue us. I said, no, you'll give me 25. They said, okay, pick up your check on Monday. <laughs> wow. wow. That right there is wow. So now you're mm-hmm. at the, now you're at the Long Beach paper. Mm-hmm. How are we, is this starting to become a passion to you? Is this reporting stuff now? I mean, there's, although you, you know, people tend to look and be like, well, you're either talking or you're typing. Journalism is journalism. And that's really not the case. Right. So with that being said, and you having a background in one side of that, the other side of the line of demarcation, what was that like now from the Long Beach Post perspective? So the Long Beach Post is interesting because I, I started doing the podcast, but I'm not one dimensional, as you said, like I can I can write, I can produce a show, I can be an anchor, I can do all of these things. So I, I can't let myself get bored because that's when it, it things dry up for me. Right. So I immediately was like, OK, well, you know what, let me start shooting some stories. So I started shooting and editing stories for their YouTube page. And now I'm getting into more of the writing. That wasn't for me that taking that slow route into writing wasn't for me. It was a level of concern for my managing editor because I'm an opinion writer. Right. So I say this is what happened. This is how I feel about it. This is where I think we should go next. So for a woman who spent 25 years saying who, what, when, where and why, period, nothing else, that was a discomfort for her. So we had to kind of work together to to learn. Cause I told her, I said, Melissa, I'm going to tell these stories one way or another. I'm going to tell it on your platform or I'm going to tell it on my platform. It would, it would be better for everybody if I said it on our platform as the Long Beach Post, because we still have Long Beach. This is Long Beach, Newt, D-O-double-G, Warren G. And you only got one black reporter here. You need somebody to represent for the culture. And I am happy to do that. So we've kind of gotten into that that space where she's comfortable. I do have to kind of mask it behind a video. <laughs> like, like I'm gonna do this video and then write up this story about it. You right. know? But, but we're starting to turn that corner now. I just, and, and now it's becoming a situation where the, the community knows me, you know, and they're asking me, Hey, can you come, can you come cover this? Can you come speak to this class? This is what happened in the community. This is what we have a concern about. So it's, it's, if now it's definitely a passion because I've always wanted to be that tool for the community, but it's, it feels good to be at that, the forefront of, of a community that I care about and being able to have this, these types of conversations and people starting to feel safe to have them on their own. That's the, probably the most important thing to me is yes, I can be that voice for you, but I'm just giving you little nuggets so you can do your own research and go have these conversations in your own community. So we can start to spread this knowledge and be stronger together. Okay, so let me let me run this down for those of you who have just happened to be tuning in. We've gone from 
K through 12, basically <laughs> being one of 10 <laughs> out of mm-hmm. 500. Mm-hmm. And then we get us a good old fashioned secretary job, which by default ends up being the president of black student union. They just skipped all types of, you know, if, mm-hmm. those, if that group was, was subjected to HR, they just skipped all type of, like we, we got a, we got somebody's kind of complaint here. Unfair nepotism, EOC. Mm-hmm. We got something. Y'all just jumped everybody. We, we float off to a little Island, got to tell somebody about themselves and then float on back. Um, and now we're doing property management for, you know, an associate of Donald Sterling. And then we, yep. we transition along to now we're by becoming the voice of the community. All those things are solid. I, I massive respect for you. Let me ask you this. Where does the fumble itself come into this? Because while I understand the working aspect of putting that together, if you're looking at Martin Luther King Boulevards, if you're looking at social and racial injustice, if you're looking for the, if you're looking at the, the vast disparities amongst communities and, and resources that are allotted and such and such and such, the fumble has to be some kind of relief in a way. No. Is it or is it that? Is okay. It is not for, for several reasons. Um, the fumble has changed. I, um, absolutely loved the fumble when we were doing the fumble live and we could have these conversations. Um, but sports in general remind you how racist our country is. And, and I think that's the thing that people forget. And I can be on there. Like what's the conversation I had the other day? Uh, Jameis Winston is playing with fractured vertebrae. Uh, Trey Lance, you, is now has a broken ankle for the second time because Kyle Shanahan wants to run him to the ground. This, this is something we see with black quarterbacks. We run black quarterbacks to the ground. Tom Brady can have a hangnail. Oh, you, 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 you don't have to play. You, you don't have to play. Clear coat, nail polish. Yes. You know, and, and it's about half the rules in the NFL to protect the quarterback were to protect Tom Brady. So we have these these nuances that, again, say we're going to let you have a seat at the table. We acknowledge that we never let black men be quarterbacks before because we didn't think black people were smart enough. We're going to let you be quarterback now. But if you ain't Michael Vick out here running like you a running back who happens to have the ball, you know, lined up under center, then that's not going to work for us. You know, if you Colin Kaepernick and can actually pass but you decide to take a stand for something that's not going to work for us. And so now the narrative is going to be, he's a trash quarterback, trash quarterback that happened to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. The, the, the math ain't mathing. So for me, it's one of those things where you can never take politics out of sports because politics are about people and people play sports. You can never take the politics out of it. And so while you're saying something that you feel is common sense and everybody can see it, our fan base is very, young and Caucasian. So I become the race baiter. I'm the racist. Fun fact, black people can't be racist. There's a whole video on my YouTube. If y'all want to go see that to educate stuff, but uh, I'm, (laughs) I'm the racist. I'm the race baiter. Um, I literally had somebody on, on the, one of the latest videos I did say she cares about black people too much. She's biased towards black people. These are things that you don't hear about white people when they are pro, but I'll just say, so it's not, it's not a relief. 
Um, one of the things that I said on one of the podcasts I did not too long ago is, is when you're a, a black person who is aware, the fight is just a fight. It never ends. You're always in the fight. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Sidebar, the podcast of NYABJ, New York Association of Black Journalists. I am your host for this particular episode, Michael W. Ray. Now that we transition to that perspective, let's, 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 uh, let's lighten it up a little bit. Your love of sports. Now, let me say that I know men. I know women. I know men who like sports. I know women who, know, who like sports. It's rare that you find a woman who knows more about sports, particularly football and basketball. Now, I'll forgive you for your choice of teams. It's not your fault. It's okay. <laughs> You know, we can't all be, you know, perfect. can't all be winners. <laughs> can't all be winners. It's okay. But tell me where the love of football came from. And is that part, is the talking about sports from the sports perspective? I understand the politics and the social economic angle, but just talk, just the ability to talk about sports freely. Yes. Is there a relief in that? Yes. There is. Um, shout out to my dad. That is an all him situation. Um, my brother's dad a little bit, too. We had we have different dads. My mom was married to his dad first, but we was all cool. <laughs> I wish we could have had a, a TV show because that's what people need to see. Like grownups being behaving like grownups when his dad would come by, uh, he'd bring me a bike. We'd play. He was the one who kind of taught me about downs and stuff and like how football works. Cause I was, my brother's so much older than me. You know, I idolized him. Anything he did, I wanted to do as well. So he's the one that taught me about football. The problem with that though, is because my brother's dad is from Dallas. He is a Dallas Cowboy fan. So <laughs> no, everybody go ahead and flinch at the same time. <laughs> So I became a Dallas Cowboy fan. So I had Dallas Cowboy sheets, Dallas Cowboy jackets. You know, back then it was the starter jacket. I, I know I'm telling my age, but whatever. Um, so it was all that. And then one day my dad, who's from New Orleans, so he's a Saints fan, but he believes, he used to always tell me that you are a fan of the town you live in. Yes, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan, but I live in Denver. I've lived in, in Denver since I was a kid. I'm a Bronco fan. So my dad used to own a nightclub, right? So he was always out. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Then he started turning it over to my oldest brother, Skip. And so he started letting Skip run it a little bit. And so he was home on the weekends more. Now one weekend, cause you know, we, we didn't get, we got more football on TV back then though, but we didn't get every single game on, on television. It was, right. a, pre, it was a preseason game. Dallas Cowboys were playing the Denver Broncos. I ran downstairs and all my cowboy gear, my dad had a complete conniption. He's like, what is that? Never again. <laughs> not in my house. Not in my house. So he, he's like, I didn't even know you were a football fan. And so then I told him how I became a football fan. He bought season tickets to the Broncos that following season. And him and I used to sit down and talk football sun up and to sundown to the point where I almost got expelled from high school one time because I was running a football betting pool. <laughs> um, what saved me from getting expelled, though, was there was a lot of teachers in that pool too. So that's safe. Yeah. If I go and they got to go and ain't nobody here to teach. I'm a Nino Brown, this bad boy. Don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, he loved football. Um, that was his thing. And, and I, I remember when I was like 
10 years old, it was my goal to become the first wide receiver that was a female in the NFL. My dad was like, no, that's not, that's not how that works. So then I started playing basketball, of course, because that was something that I could do. And then uh, I think it, while I was in college, it was like sophomore year, they, they did this experimental, we're going to start a women's football league in Denver was one of the play Denver, I think St. Louis, and I forget the other cities, but those are the big sports town that they were going to try to start it. Cause the Rams were actually in St. Louis at the time. So I went out for the team. I went across the middle. I caught the ball. I got rocked. I put that ball down and I went home. Thank you for coming out. <laughs> God bless. Good night. I was <laughs> like, across yeah. the middle, got laid out. And was like, thank you. I was like, nah, nah, that, that's not for me. That is not, I'm meant to talk about this. I'm not meant to be about this. This isn't, this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> that takes us to now, which is along with everything else that you're doing. Um, I believe I see some basketball correspondence that's now on your resume. Talk about that. For so I work for Nightcast Media and Nick Hamilton and I have, it's his, it's his company, it's his baby, but it's, I definitely saw his vision and it's important for me to be a part of black media and especially black independent media, because I think that's the only way to tell black stories. Um, he started it with, um, sports. It's since branched out, you know, from there, but when he started it, I was like, yo, I want to, I want to cover the, the WNBA. Candace Parker was still here at the time. You know, I was like, I want to cover the WNBA, but he already had a reporter that was covering it. So you fast forward to last year that I was like, nah, I'm cover. I'm going to cover the WNBA. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to cover the WNBA. So I started trying to work towards it. And then the person that we had covering the WNBA for Nightcast Media calls me. His name's Chris Camello. Shout out to Chris because he is a dope writer. Uh, y'all make sure y'all follow him on Nightcast Media. But he called me and he was like, uh, I don't know if I want to do the WNBA. I was like, I'll call you back. <laughs> call Nick. I was like, I want to do the WNBA. So he was like, yeah. So I just went in there and it was it was easy because of my love for the team already. You know what I mean? So it was just an easy. And when you when you talk sports, you just talk sports. This was probably the best year for me to become involved with the L.A. Sparks because this was a roller coaster year for that team. It was all over the place, which I kind of knew the second you get Liz Cambage here, you knew it was going to be some kind of roller coaster ride. I didn't know it was going to be the, to the extent that it was. Um, but that franchise is a mess. I love it, but it's a mess. A mess. Trickling <laughs> to my last three questions. If mm-hmm. you're just tuning in, we are sitting here with media Swiss Army knife, Jackie <laughs> Ray. Print, like print. Uh, we got print, we got front of the camera, back of the camera. I know you edit some for the fumble, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's all things media right here. Um, and uh, could you tell me as I as I trickle into my last three questions? Last, last of my questions is number three. We'll go three, two, one. Number okay. three, you have the serious socioeconomic. This is what the world is in this community perspective that you handle, mm-hmm. you have the sports, which you've done. When you step back and look at, when you, when, you, when you make a storyboard of what you've done so far, when you look at that, what do you say to yourself? Well done, 
Like, I don't have a problem tooting my own horn. And because I know the road was windy. And that's when I talk to kids. I tell them that all the time. Like, there's no, there's no right road. The road that makes you become a better person is going to what is, is what's going to make you better at what you do, which makes that the right road to go. And I think I, when I step back and I think all the time people say, man, if you hadn't, you hadn't done music first, you'd be so far in your career. I would be, but then I'd be looking back and saying, damn, I wish I had tried. And I did try. So I don't have that regret and I'm still making my way in media. So it's all good. You know? So I, I think I'm proud of that. I think that's a thing that I, that I want young people to hear. Trust the journey. I know it sounds cliche, but truly trust the journey. All right. I kind of sort of lied. Question number two is a two-parter, <laughs> okay. right? In this, in this two-part question, can Jackie Ray of Jackie Ray TV, Long Beach Media, Nightcast of, of some, some floating piece of matter out in the South Pacific for, <laughs> for 60 days, can she tell us, A, a short-term goal, zero to five years, can you tell us a long-term goal of yours, five plus? My short-term goal is to be a name that is synonymous with Black media. Um, that's zero to five years. And uh, be synonymous in a, in a Sean King kind of way without the Sean King issues, you know? Um, I definitely, because the thing I love about Sean King and the thing I think no one can ever take away from him is some of the things that happen in our community I would not know about if he wasn't bringing it light. And I will forever applaud him for that. Yeah, he speaks his truth. He, he truly speaks his truth. He does. And every time, sometimes when I see stuff on his page, I'm like, dang, when did that happen? You know, and I love that because as small as our world has gotten because of social media, it's still ginormous. Okay. And there's stuff that we can miss. So I applaud him for that. Um, so that's my short term goal. In zero to five years, I, I want to kind of be synonymous with with the black community and telling our stories. Um, my long-term goal is being part of black media, building up a black media platform. So Nightcast Media is what I'm involved with right now. And that's, that's, and I love it. I think Nick has a similar vision. So if it's not Nightcast Media, building up my own, um, but it takes a, a, a great team to do that. And that's the other thing. It's not, it's, you're not an island. Um, and anybody who's ever tried to build anything making sure you have the right people on your ship is, is important. Otherwise there could be a coup and you, you know, you gonna just, just look what happened to Jack Sparrow. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying it can happen to all of it. And so. the Amistad. All right. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. So I'm like that, that is my goal is to see, because technically I work for a black owned media company right now. The fumble is owned by urban urban one, which is black owned. Um, but it's not, fully black operated. And I get it when you're at the size that urban one is, maybe that's not a realistic goal. Right. I don't, but I want to be black owned and operated. I don't mind having people who are not black work for us, but as far as you and I have been in situations where everybody in power does not look like us, but there's a lot of people who work there and nobody says anything. Nobody says that's a problem. Nobody calls says that's an issue with that company. And that's fine because at the end of the day, giving back to your own, I think is a very human feeling and a human desire to want to do. 
That is my desire. My desire is to have a black owned, black operated media company. Let me know where to send my resume because I definitely, I <laughs> definitely went in on that. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Sidebar, the podcast of NYABJ, New York Association of Black Journalists. I am your host for this particular episode, Michael W. Ray. So as we transition to our final question, if Jackie Ray could pick up the telephone and call Jackie Ray of 15 years ago, Mm, okay, you got 30 seconds on the phone with yourself. What are you saying to you? Start your YouTube page immediately. Stay with it and never give up. Put out content daily because of the, the truth of the matter is, had I stuck with that, the people who started with YouTube from the beginning were doing crazy weird stuff. If I had been the voice that I wanted to be then, when that platform took off, yeah. <laughs> right. You'd be like the fifth member of Boys to Men if he never left. Right. <laughs> <laughs> where would he where would he be right now you know exactly. the, the, dude, the dude who didn't want to hang out with the google guys anymore because they were corny for being in the garage jackie on behalf of nyabj i want to say thank you thank you for this opportunity to converse with you and um i look forward to doing this again because you know what we need a part two i think we need yeah. <laughs> yes thank you so much for having me this was fantastic how can people reach you you can find me on all things social media at Jackie Ray TV, including YouTube. Jackie, thank you for your time. Thank you. We wish to express our most sincerest thanks to our distinguished guests. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and give The Sidebar a great review. As a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in every episode of The Sidebar belong to the individuals who made them and not to the NYABJ. For more information on the NYABJ, please visit www.nyabj.org. Music by Halizna Raps.